If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to um, open with me to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 16, and we will begin in verse 1. Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, and we are continuing our study of the life of Christ that's recorded in Luke, and today we're going to look at another of his parables, and this is one that you might say is a little strange. It's, um, it's the parable of the unjust or unfaithful steward, and I say it's, it's one of the stranger uh, uh, parables that Jesus told because, well, you'll, you'll see in just a little bit, um, but, but it has a lot of stuff to tell us about how to manage what God has entrusted to us. Now, if you're able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse uh, 15. Sorry, verse uh, 13. It says, He was also saying to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors and began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? If, you've been, if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is a call to account. A call to account. If you look at verse 1 again, it says that Jesus told the parable to his disciples. Now, that should cause us to pause for just a minute because Jesus, this is, this is a, change of, of, uh, a, a change of who he's talking to, a change of audience. Because remember in chapter 15, what he had done was he was defending himself because he was welcoming in uh, the, the, the rank sinners of society. He was bringing in the, the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, people who shunned God, and they were flocking to him as he, was, as he was teaching and preaching. And the religious people got all upset about it because he was receiving them, he was eating with them, he was, he was treating them kindly, and they didn't like it. And so Jesus told a series of parables in chapter 15, there were three of them, all about something that was lost and then found in a and a celebration that ensued after that lost thing had been found. So we had the lost sheep. You remember there were 101 was lost. Then we had the coins. There were 10, and one of them was lost. And then we had the, the one about the son. There were two of them, and one of them was lost, the prodigal son. And so, so that's who he had been talking to. Before that, he'd been talking to the crowds who were flocking to him as he was going to Jerusalem. And he's still on his way there to uh, where he's going to, to suffer and die at the hands of, of, of the Romans. But now, all of a sudden, he turns his attention to the disciples. Now, the twelve are, are partly in view here, but it's likely they're not the only ones that are in view because it doesn't say uh, the, the twelve or, or some other designation of that. It just says the disciples. 
And so it's, it's, it's quite probable that many of these tax collectors and sinners who had come to him in chapter 15 were also becoming his disciples. They were beginning to follow him, and they were not part of this, this inner group of the twelve, but they were, they were devoting their lives to Christ. And so Jesus takes that opportunity to tell them what it's like to follow him. And think, this would have been a very important thing for them to know, because many of them are tax collectors. They're the ones who are getting rich off the backs of their countrymen. And so they have a great emphasis on money, and so Jesus is telling them how to, how to manage what you have. So instead of Jesus just giving a, a dry instruction, he doesn't just say, be faithful with what God's entrusted to you. Instead, he gives us a picture to flesh that out. And, and he shows us what it looks like to handle and mishandle what God has given us. And so he, he tells us this story, and on the surface, it's, it's kind of odd, because the hero of the story, if we can call him that, is a crook. The hero of the story, the, the, the one who gets praised at the end, is a scoundrel. He's a cheat. He takes advantage of the master. And he's the one that's praised at the end. Now understand, Jesus did not praise him. It, it was the master of, in the story. And he was not set forth as an example to follow in his dishonesty. It was not his unfaithfulness that was pointed to as something that was good, but rather his shrewdness. And look at, at what he says in, in verse 1. He tells about a rich man who had a manager. Your Bible may say a steward, a manager, something like that. And this was a common thing back then because if you were wealthy, you didn't want to deal with the, with the nitty-gritty. You didn't want to deal with all the, all the... Wouldn't it be something to have so much money you just didn't want to deal with it? I mean, it, it, I, I, just, I just... Oh, I've got so much money, somebody needs to do my bookkeeping for me. I've got so much money, I don't want to have to worry about feeding the cows. I'll have somebody take care of all of it. And so this, the, the wealthy people back then, they would have a steward a manager who would take care of everything for him. they take care of the livestock. they would make sure they were sold and fed and all those things. they take care of their money, all their property, their food, the whole nine yards. It was his job to take care of everything, and the rich man would just sit back and live it up. And so this, now, now if you have a job where somebody needs to have integrity, and if you're going to have an employee that you want to have integrity, it would be a manager. It would be the steward. But this man got a crook. Now, the thing about the steward is he didn't own all that stuff that he was managing. It was entrusted to him. It was put into his care, and it was his job to man- it was his job to care for it. Now, unfortunately, this man was not. He didn't have integrity. He was not dependable. He wasn't any of those things. If you notice verse 1, it says that he squandered this master's possessions. Now, that word hopefully will ring a bell because... Last week when we looked at chapter 15 of the prodigal son, the same words used. The, the, the prodigal son went into the far country and squandered his inheritance. That means that he wasted it. So this, this man was not embezzling from the master. He wasn't, he, he, wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't stealing. He was just wasting. He was letting it go through his hands like water. He was doing a poor job of managing. He was unfaithful. And the master one day called him to account. That's what I tell you that you and I are stewards as well. And we talk about that in, in, in church. One of, the, one of the key words that you hear in church sometimes is stewardship. And the idea behind that is we don't own what we have. What we have in our possession is a gift, is a gift from God, and it's just been put into our care to manage it and, and to direct its, its use like this steward should have done for the rich man. And so everything we have 
comes from God. It's all His. Now, your name may be on the title. Your name may be on the, on, on the, the paperwork. But it all belongs to God. Now, typically, when you hear stewardship, a lot of people instinctively grab for their pockets. Oh, he's going to talk about money. And usually we talk about money and we think about money when we talk about stewardship. And that is part of it. But God has entrusted each of us with certain things. And it's more than just money. It's, it's, it's anything that we have. It's come from God. And, and one day you and I will give an account for how we've managed what he's put into our care. Now, I think there are four things that God has given to each of us uh, in some form or another. The first is time. We are stewards of our time. Each of us has the same amount of time as everybody else, 24 hours in a day. And I know that my brain works differently than most people's. You all aren't supposed to laugh at that. You all are hateful. Hateful. But just, I know my brain works differently. Here's one of those examples. Sometimes, many times, I feel like I spin my wheels. I'll go through a day, and I know that I've been busy. And I know I've been working. And I know I've labored. And I know I've put in a full day. But sometimes, as I look back over my day, or as I'm going through the day, I can't really show that I've done that much. I've not accomplished that much. Anybody else identify with that? And, and so, so I do that. And sometimes, and here's where my odd brain comes in, sometimes it'll come to me, you had the same amount of time in your day as what Jesus had. You had the same amount of time in your day as what Thomas Edison or Albert Einstein or whoever it is had. And no, I'm not saying that Thomas Edison and the light bulb is on the same level as what Jesus did. But what I'm saying is, these people that made a huge impact on society and the world, They've written books, they've, they've, done, they've discovered things, they've, they've, whatever it is. They had the same amount of time in their day as what I have and as what you have. And many times we say, well, I just don't have time to do X. How many times have you said, well, I don't have time to read my Bible. I'd sure like to. But I don't have time to read my Bible every day. I've got an iPhone, and every day it'll pop up and tell me what my screen time has been. Do you ever have that happen? It is depressing. Because it'll be like, it'll pop up, I'll get a notification, I'm like, oh, somebody texted me. Nope, just Apple saying, oh, your screen time was up 27% from yesterday. Oh, my. You, you think about how much time you spend on social media. You think about how much time you spend online. How much time you spend watching TV. And then you turn around and say, well, I sure would like to read my Bible, but I don't have time. Maury Povich would say that is a lie. We all have the same amount of time. And, and it, we, we are, have been entrusted with that time and we should manage it well. Now I'm not saying you should have every second of every day booked. Because that's like driving a car and putting the pedal to the metal and keeping it that way. And eventually that car is going to blow up. And then the car is not going to be any good for anybody. You have to have some margin built in. I mean, even Jesus told the disciples, come away for a while and rest a little bit. You have to have margin built in. But what I'm saying is we need to, we need to manage our time well. The second thing that God's entrusted us, each, of us, each of us with is talent. Now, I know some of you say, I don't have any talent. You say, well, I, I can't do anything very good. 
But listen, we all have a talent or a skill or an ability that God's given us. And some of us are, are extra special when we have two or three. But we all have at least one. God has given you something that you are good at. It may be cooking or teaching or, or musical ability or, or writing or construction or, or whatever it is. Encouragement. In, you know, there are some people that it doesn't matter. They may not have met somebody for five minutes and you'll... You'll get a, a birthday card from that person. You know what I'm talking about? They Somehow, some people can just do stuff like that. Use whatever you have for God and for His glory. The third thing that God's given each of us is treasure. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about a chest full of gold doubloons. But what I mean is He's given each of us some amount of financial resources. And some of us are have a bigger pool to manage than others. But whatever our financial ability is, whatever that financial pool is, we are God's managers. And we may have a different amount at our disposal, but we should be faithful in managing that well. And the last thing that he's given each of us is opportunity. I couldn't think of a way to make it a T word and have time, talent, treasure, and have a T. But opportunity. We all have opportunities throughout the day. And sometimes I know that I've looked back at my day and said, man, I wish I would have thought to say this to that person. Oh, here was an opportunity that God served up on a, a, a golden platter. and said, here you go, son. Here's an opportunity to speak a word of encouragement. Here's an opportunity to share the gospel. Here's an opportunity to whatever it is. We all have opportunities and, and we often let them slip by. We've all been entrusted and we'll all give an account one of these days. Now, we need to move on past verse 1. Look at verse 2 and following. I want you to see a low-down scheme. A low-down scheme. So the master gets word the steward is mismanaging his, his estate. And so he calls him to give an account. He tells him, get the books ready. And, by the way, you're fired. You, you can't be manager anymore. And so this manager, instead of going to his office, getting all the books together so he can turn it over to the boss, he decides to, to, uh, to, to work out a little plan. And here's his scheme. He's not a dumb man. He knows that nobody's going to want to hire him because he's a crook. I mean, if, if you know that John down the street has a manager and that manager got fired because he's wasting all of John's money, when that guy comes and puts in the application at your place, you're going to be like, yep, next. And so he's not a dumb man. He knows nobody's going to hire him. And so he says, well, I've got a couple of options. Number one, I could work. I don't like that idea, he says. Verse 3, what shall I do since the master's taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. He's been, he's been living the high life off the master's goods. And so he's soft. His fingernails, or he's had a, he's had a manicure, maybe even a pedicure. He's he got no calluses on his hands. He's he, he's just not cut out for work anymore. And it's not just digging, because I mean, let's face it, digging is hard work. And he says, I, I'm not strong enough for that. But on top, of that, that's just just manual labor. He says, people aren't going to hire me to do an office job. I guess I go out and work, but I don't like that idea. So that leaves him one option, and that's to beg. And he says, well, I. I'm refusing to do that. I've got too much pride. I'm too proud to do that. And besides, if somebody comes and sees me holding a sign that says, we'll work for food, anything helps, 
and they see me fit. I've got no medical problems that, that are, that's keeping me from being gainfully employed. They're not going to help me out. So I, I'm going to hatch a plan. So here's this plan. Verse 5 and following. He summons the debtors to himself and he adjusts their bill. And this is what's in view here is, is like a, a rent or a lease agreement. And, and what was happening is this, this rich man had some land evidently. And he had people who were farming that land. And rather than pay him uh, the rent in money, they were paying him in kind. So if, you had, if the land had wheat on it, you, he, the master would get part of that wheat. If it, if it had olive trees on it, then he would get part of that oil. And it was a set amount that, that everybody had agreed to. And so he calls in this debtor, the first one. He says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, a hundred measures of oil. Now that doesn't mean anything to us because we don't know what a measure is. It's about 850 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of oil. Now that would have been worth about a thousand denarii. Say so that doesn't mean anything to me either. Now a denarius was a day's wages for a common laborer. So a thousand of those is about three years wages. And he says, why don't you make that a year and a half? I'll cut, cut, knock off 50%. Well, you can imagine that guy jumped at the chance. And so this, the, the, the way it was arranged was the debtor would write out the bill and it would be signed by the, by the steward who was managing all the estate anyway. And so he says, sit down and write out 50% of that, that you, you owe him 50 measures. And then he took it back and signed it and said, okay, going out, going out the door. Next. And the next guy comes in. He says, how much do you owe uh, the master? And he says, 100 measures of wheat. Now, again, you say, well, that doesn't mean a whole lot because wheat is not gallons. So uh, uh, 100 measures of wheat would be about 1,000 bushels of wheat. Remember, they didn't have combines. This is all hand done. And so the man, the, the steward, says, all right, mark it, mark it out and put 80 instead. Now, to us, we say, well, what's the, why is that so unfair? Because one guy got half of his knocked off. The other guy got 20%. What's the difference? Well... A, a, a thousand bushels of wheat would be about 2,500 denarii. So 50% of a thousand, 20% of 2,500 works out to about 500 denarii uh, either way. So he's knocking a substantial amount off the, off the cost. About a year and a half's worth of wages with a stroke of a pen. Those of you who still owe money on your house, if your banker called you in and said, you know what? You think how much money you make in a year. Why don't you just change this loan amount and take off a year and a half's worth of your wages you're going to be paying for this house? You'd be saying hallelujah, right? You'd be, you'd be so happy. And you'd jump at the chance. And that's what this guy did. He, he, was, he, was, he was lessening this debt. And so the master, whenever he gets word of it, he praises the guy. Not because he's dishonest. Not because he's unfaithful, but because, and not because he continued to disobey the master and, in fact, made it worse for the master. Because now if the master comes back and says, uh, oh, you, you, you owe me uh, 50 measures? No, you need to make that 100 like it was originally. Well, then he's the bad guy because the other guy was the nice guy. And here he is coming back and trying to change the plan. He's, he has hurt the master in more ways than one. He's not... He's not praising him for any of these things, the master says he is shrewd. He has acumen. He has horse sense. He has wisdom. He has practical 
skill. He saw an opportunity, and he made the most of it. Because what he's done is all these people who saved all this money are now going to feel obligated whenever he comes to their door and says, Hey, you remember back in September when I called you in and, and you, you, owed 50, you owed 100 and now you owe 50? Yeah, I did that. You remember that? You know, it just so happens I don't have a job there anymore. They're going to invite him in. He, in, he, he in, indebts them to himself. He saw an opportunity and he made the most of it in order to accomplish his goal. Because now he's not going to have a job with the master, but he'll get his needs taken care of, and the best part of it all is he doesn't have to work to do it. Now Jesus carries that imagery over, and he tells us we need to make the most of what we have been given. Now, it doesn't mean that we necessarily need to speak to a financial planner, begin to play the stock market and stuff like that. That's not necessarily what's in view. That's not a bad thing to do. But what he's saying is we need to invest for eternity. Look at verse 9 of what he says. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He's, he's carrying that imagery over. Now, why does it say unrighteous wealth or the wealth of unrighteousness? Why does it say that? Well, wealth is not inherently bad by itself. It can be spiritually perilous, but it's not inherently wicked. But the reason it's called this is because wealth promises a lot. Anybody ever heard of Mega Millions? You no doubt heard about Mega Millions just a couple weeks ago. And it got up over a billion dollars. And I'll admit it, I thought, boy, what would I do with a billion dollars? What would I do with even a fraction of that? And I started making out plans. I didn't write anything down. But I have it in my mind. Because what, what, is, what does wealth do? Wealth promises. Well, if you just had this many zeros in your bank account, besides just one, if you had zeros at the end of some numbers, you'd be home free. If you just had X amount of dollars, how many of you, whenever you start out working, said, you know, I don't make jack squat, but if I made, we'll say, you start out, I make $15,000. If I just make twenty-five, dollars I'd be living high on the hog. Then you get a different job, you get a raise, and you get that twenty-five, dollars And all of a sudden, you're still in the same position that you were. Because you, spend, you just keep spending to your, to, to your income level. And then you say, well, you know, 25 that I thought was good, but... You know, 30 would be a lot better. Then you get that 30. Well, you know, 50 would be better. And, and we just keep boosting it up. Because we, wealth says, if, if you just have more of me, you're not going to have any more troubles. You'll fix all your problems. No more stress, no more heartache. If you just have a little more. But it doesn't deliver. It makes wings for itself and flies away. It can't fulfill. And what ends up happening is people hear the siren call of wealth and they trust in it, and they seek it, and they forget God, and they say, money's going to solve my problem, but listen, money can't solve your sin problem. The only thing that can solve that problem is the blood of Christ. And so when we go seeking after wealth instead of after Jesus, that makes it unrighteous because only Christ can fix those problems, not money in the bank. And in that sense, it's wicked because it draws people away from God. And therefore, we need to see it as a tool, Jesus says, to make friends with it. Now he's not saying 
you know, necessarily you go to the Walmart and you got somebody in front of you in line, you pay for their groceries or something like that. That's a nice thing to do. But that's not necessarily what he's saying. What he's saying is we need to use what we have to invest in eternity, to help the poor, to relieve suffering, and to be a blessing to others. Can it look like that? Sure. Can it look like many other things? Absolutely. We need to, we need to do those things to, to, to draw people to Christ. We need to use it to further the gospel in the world. We need to use it to fund missions and, and so forth. And in doing those things, the, the imagery that Jesus uses is that we make friends for ourselves in eternity. One day, your money will fail you. It failed this man in, in this life, but you can be sure it will fail you when you die. Because you can't take it with you. So you send it on ahead of you. And the goal is for there to be people in heaven who are there partially because of the way that you manage your money and your time, and your opportunities, and your talents. And then whenever you get to heaven, they'll be there partially because you use that to further the gospel. And they heard it, and they responded, and they'll greet you. Now Jesus closes out this parable with a couple of points that, that really hang together. And the first is that your faithfulness in the small predicts your faithfulness in the big. Look at verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If you're faithful in the little, you'll be faithful in the big and vice versa. Now I heard a phrase, I think it was last week or week before, uh, just recently, I'd, I'd never heard before, but it applies to this, and, and whenever I heard it, it made me think of this. And the phrase was this, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. If you're faithful in the little, you'll be faithful in the much. And sometimes we blow through our money and we say, oh, if I just had that mega millions, I'd do a lot better. No, you wouldn't. You just do the same thing on a bigger scale. And we tend to think when he talks about the very little and the much, we tend to think of it in terms of amount. Again, we tend, if you think about money, we, we think about how many zeros are involved. When you think about whatever it is, we think about amounts, but if you look at what he says, and again, that there, there is some element of truth to that, but if you look at what he says in verse 11, you'll see that he's talking about something actually a little bit different. He says, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Verses 10 and 11 run parallel to each other. Verse 10 talks about being faithful in the little, Verse 11 says, that's wealth. And he talks about being faithful in the much, that's the true riches. In other words, the way that you handle what God's entrusted to you, whether it's wealth or whatever it is, has a spiritual impact in your life. And Jesus hammers the point home in verse 12. He says, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? Now, in this life, everything that we have is somebody else's. Everything that we have is somebody else's. You say, well, yeah, the bank owns my house and another bank owns the car. I'm not talking about that. I mean, everything that you have is God's in this life. We're stewards. We're managers. But when you die, the Bible says that you're an heir of God. You're a joint heir or a co-heir with Christ. 
you, be, you go from managing to co-owning. You get an upgrade. You're managing in this life. You're, 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 what's entrusted to you, you're managing. In the next life, you'll be entrusted with some things to own. And so what Jesus says is, and this is my summation, this life is practice. If you can't be trusted to handle the things that are on loan to you here, why should you think you'll get a whole lot there? So this is practice. You know, it's it's like baseball before the big season starts. You have the practice games. You have those you have those things that don't make a difference long term, but it's good it's good to have the experience. And in this life. God's given us stuff, and that's good for experience. Then he ends with chapter thir- or verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He doesn't say if you try real hard, you can. He says you can't do it. Because if you have two different masters, they'll demand two different things. Now, sometimes those things may go in line with each other. Take job A. But there are going to be times when they go opposite directions. So wealth is going to say, the, the love of money, for instance, is going to say, get all you can. Can all you get, sit on the top and help everybody get their own. Christ says, be generous. Be open-handed. Now, when you're presented with an opportunity that we talked about earlier, and God's giving you this opportunity, you have to make a decision. Which one are you going to listen to? You have two masters, which one are you going to serve? Because you can't do both, get all you can and can all you get, and be open-handed and generous. You can't do them both. You can't do it at the same time. And so Jesus says, you've got to make a choice. Which one are you going to follow? You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve two masters. Jesus tells us we need to be shrewd. We, we, we need to... In another place, he says we need to be harmless as doves, but what? As wise as serpents. He's not saying it's wiser to be a son of this world than a son of the light. That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not encouraging us to follow the ways of the world. He's not saying be underhanded and unfaithful in your dealings. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the people, many people in this world, will use every opportunity that's presented to them to work things towards their, their desired goals. They are single-minded. And every opportunity, just like this unrighteous steward, it comes along, and, and he worked that to his advantage. And what Jesus is saying is that, that we need to be like that. When, when opportunities come our way, make the most of them. Use what you have to get the desired ends, not to manipulate people. But you need to use those things to further the gospel. And as you let those, those words of Christ settle into your mind, I, I, just, I want you to consider what your response would be if you had to give an, an accounting for what he's entrusted to you today. If you stood before God today, and we all could, what would that accounting look like? How are you managing your time? We say, well, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to go to church. I'm so busy. You know, church just starts too early. 
Yeah, I, I missed you last week. Where were you? Well, I got up at 4.30 and went to the deer stand. Oh, and you couldn't be here at 10.30? No, it's too early. Oh, well, it's good to see you this week after Thanksgiving. Hope you had a good good Thanksgiving with everybody. Oh, well, I see that a few of you are missing. Oh, you're back the next week. Great. Missed you last week. Oh, it's too early. Yeah? How was Thanksgiving? Well, went to the doorbuster sales at 3. Mm-hmm. How are you managing your time? What about your talents? Your skills, your abilities? They may not be much. Well, let's face it. I, I, can't, I can't sing worth a hoot. Singing's not my thing. Some would debate whether preaching's my thing. I mean, we, but we all have an ability, right? We all have those things that we can do. Some of us couldn't drive a nail if our life depended on it, but we can bake a cake better than anybody around. Well, I don't want the cake baker building my house. I want, if you can drive a nail straight, I want you doing it. Use what you got. Or, or what about your, your treasure, your financial resources? God's put them under your control. How are you using it? Your opportunities. Maybe there's somebody in your life at work or at home or wherever it is, and you just keep missing those opportunities to, to share the love of Christ, to, to be an encouragement to them. Pray that God would help you to see those things, recognize them, because we'll all give an account. And listen, if you're not a Christian, that thought should terrify you. You will one day give an account to God for your life. And I'm not trying to, to manipulate you in any way. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of us will stand before God and will all give an answer for what we've done in the body. And listen, I talked about opportunities. Today is your opportunity. I'm giving you the gospel. You are a sinner. That sin separates you from God. You've done things that have broken God's law. And the just punishment for that is hell. And apart from Christ, you will go to hell. The only way to be saved is not through wealth or church membership or whatever else it is. It's only through Christ. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never repented of your sin... Do that today. Why don't you stand with me as uh, musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want you to consider your own, your own life, your own heart, and your stewardship. If you are a Christian, God has entrusted certain things to you. And He wants you to be faithful. Again, He didn't tell this parable. So you look at the unfaithful servant and get some pointers on ripping off your boss. He told this so you would figure out that you need to make the most of your opportunities that you've been given. And if you're not a Christian, this is an opportunity that God has given to you.
would you even now, right where you are, repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, it's, it's a truth that we know if we've studied the Scriptures that it all belongs to you. That you're the creator, you're the owner. Your name's on the title deed. But you put certain things into our lives to manage, to take care of, to direct. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all be faithful to manage those things that you've given us, whether it be big or small. Because we know that, that the things in this world are not the true riches. Gold and gems and, and cash and jewels and all the, all the other stuff are not the true riches. The spiritual insight, spiritual truth, your blessing, those are the true riches. And help us be faithful in those little things so that we'll be faithful in the much. And God, if there's somebody who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you draw them to yourself today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.